Today's Bible study is called Grace and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do you guys know who Obi-Wan Kenobi is? All right, he's from Star Wars, and there's a really famous scene where Princess Leia is, is saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. So just remember that. Remember that. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. All right, so let's go ahead and pray and uh, begin this uh, time just real quick. We got a short study today in the book of Ephesians. So Jesus, we thank you again for your word. We now set aside this little, just this little time, Lord, where we can devote uh, our mind and our heart to growing in your word and what your spirit has for us right now. We ask, Jesus, you'd help us to focus and to not be distracted, uh, Lord, and to... Um, to place all that we saw with the anchor groups and all the announcements, to just place that in its spot. And Lord, now, Jesus, you on the cross would have our whole attention. We pray that. We, we ask you would help us to understand your word. We, you would help us to be godly and to make Christ-like choices. And we just thank you again for your word. In your name I pray. Amen. The verse that we begin with is verse 10 of chapter 6. And it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Bodybuilding is big. Being all big and strong really appeals to men. You know, so I think sometimes men have a dream once in their life to be a bodybuilder, to have the big muscles and to be all powerful. You never hear a mom say, eat your dinner so you can grow up all skinny and weak never happens. Being strong means you can do stuff and you can succeed. You can pick up a rock or climb a mountain. You can throw a football a quarter mile or fight someone. All very important things for men and kids and boys when they're growing up. You know, but can you, but the, even the strongest guy who's out there can't punch the wind. Have you ever thought about that? The strongest guy out there, he can't punch the wind. You can't, can you just imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in an action movie having a throwdown fight with a breeze? Hashtag get to the chopper. <laughs> wind in the Bible is a picture or an illustration of the spirit and spiritual things. You see that all over the place. And you can feel the effects of the wind, but you can't control it in any way. You can't force it to go a certain direction. It's a, it's a picture of spiritual things. Just like we can't lift weights to get stronger in spiritual things. And God isn't asking us to. The enemy that we're up against is so vastly more powerful than we are. It's actually quite the mismatch. There's this movie that I saw recently. It was that we went to the uh, drive-in. You guys been to the drive-in up on 88th? It's awesome. It's, I, I haven't been to a drive-in in years and years and years, and we went to, we saw Despicable Me 2. You guys seen that movie? A hilarious movie. Wonderful movie. But after that movie, we saw another movie. I, I think everyone else fell asleep, but it was called Pacific Rim. And it's about these giant monsters that come through another dimension portal to, through the ocean. And like giant, like I'm talking like hundreds and hundreds of feet tall giant monster thingies and so people build these giant robots to try to fight these monsters and, and they ride in these robots and they, they and they fight the monsters like this and it's like rock'em sock'em robots except 
huge, huge, huge tall. But the interesting thing is they didn't, they, in this movie, you know, they're fighting this humongous monster, and they didn't just send out their strongest men. You know, we didn't send out the rock and say, here, fight the monster, Dwayne Johnson. No, we, they didn't do that because the monster would just step on him and squish him. It wouldn't have even been a good movie at all. So they built these, these robots that were powerful enough to fight the monsters. They went inside something that was able and strong enough to win the fight. And so take that picture into what we have here. Paul says, be strong in the Lord's strength, the power of his might. Because it's like when, if we were to try to take on Satan in our own strength, man, we will get squished. It will not work. But the Lord isn't asking you to do that. You know, the very next verse we're going to get into next week with our anchor groups and all that we're going to be studying is the armor of the Lord. All these different ways that the Lord works in our life. And it is a spiritual battle, but it is not one that we're supposed to fight in our own strength. The number one thing to understand is that we fight in the Lord's strength. We're going inside him and something that he gives us. So he says, be, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For us to understand this verse, we need to understand the difference between power and might. Because he says, you need to be strong in the power of his might. Well, might is the muscles of a bodybuilder. Dis they display his might. He's up here and he's, I know I'm a wonderful picture of this, but the muscles bulging and he's up there. He's not actually doing anything, but he has the potential to be strong, right? He, he, his muscles display his might. He has the ability to be strong. It's a reserve of strength. Whereas power is the use of might. When a bodybuilder actually picks up something heavy, he's putting his reserve of strength into action. David Guzak, I love this commentator. He explains it like this. God has vast reservoirs of might that can be realized as power in a Christian life. But his might does not work in me as I sit passively. His might works in me as I rely upon it. I can do, no, I can do work without relying on it, but both of these uh, will fall short. I can rely on it and do no work, or I can work without relying on it, but both of these fall short. I must rely on his might and then do his work. See, this is how grace or the new covenant works. God gives us access to his might. And how mighty is God? How wonderful is God? My son went to youth group last night, uh, and he... Um, he came back and said, oh, it was so wonderful. It was so awesome. I learned something great. I learned that, that God is so big. And he learned about the star Beetlejuice. And he thought it was a funny sounding star. So he learned how big, but they, they were using it in an illustration to show how, how big God is, that God holds the whole universe in the palm of his hands. And, uh, and God is mighty. His, his might is wonderful. It's far beyond comprehension. And yet he gives us access to that strength. It isn't getting you stronger. It isn't you becoming a better person. The way grace works, the way the new covenant works, 
it's not a reformation or, or a rehabilitation of a sinner. It's an outside source of life and resources that we just dive into. An outside source of life and resources that we dive into by faith in Jesus Christ. We dive into him like we dive into an ocean. Then our life is hidden in Jesus and we're equipped and made alive by him. Well then, how do I get all this grace? How do I access all this might? How do I dive into that ocean of Jesus? And the answer is by relationship. By relationship. And it's, there's two relational realities that I just have to teach you guys, and I have to continually bring this up in my own life and in, in my family and in the people that I disciple and in our church. These two, we are going to come back to this over and over and over again. The way our relationship with God works is in two ways. There are these two relational realities. Number one is humility, and number two is faith. Humility and faith. That's how this relationship works. That's how we access this might. That's how we dive into the ocean. It's how we get grace. Humility. James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 both quote Psalm 34, which says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. So all this strength, all this power, God says, I will just give it to you if you're humble, if you think you need it. And that's where Americans struggle. All people struggle, but Americans most Definitely because we don't like to admit our need for things. We don't like to admit that we have a great desufficiency. We have a great lack, and we need God. And that attitude is called humility, saying, God, I need you. But you can't just have that. You can't just be like, I need God so much. I'm just going to sit here. Because there's a second equal part of the relationship called faith. And that second part called faith is how we access this grace. He gives grace to the humble. It's a gift. It's just a present laying on your doorstep or under your Christmas tree given to you. It's got your name on it. If you're humble, here you go, grace. But the act of you standing up and reaching out your hand and opening it up and partaking of it is called faith. And that is is described in Romans 5.2. In Romans 5.2, Paul says we have access into this grace in which we stand by faith. We access it by faith. So humility says, God, I need you. Faith says, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk forward, believing that you're going to give me this grace. I believe it. I'm going to step forward. I'm going to step forward to do the thing that you've asked me to do. Maybe, for example, it's lead of an anchor group. And these guys, you know, they're like, oh, I'm scared to do it. And I'm, I'm afraid. And what if no one comes? And what if this? And what if that? What if I don't know what to say? What if it's silence? And that's humility. Okay, great. God's going to give you grace. But what if they said, I, I'm not going to have faith, though. I'm just going to sit here. And if God wants me to do an anchor group, I'll just magically have an anchor group. No, that's not how it works. 
We step out when we feel God's put something on our hearts and we say, I'm going to do it. This, I'm going to do this. And I know I don't have the strength to do it. I don't have the ability to do it. But I'm going to stay, take that one step and I'm going to believe. It's just like Indiana Jones. And, and the last crusade, you guys remember that, right? Where they, he comes to the chasm and it's an, an invisible bridge. And if, if, if he threw the, you know, if he takes the step off, it looks like he's stepping into, and he's going to die, and he's going to fall down. But it's there. It really is there. So grace is like that invisible bridge from Indiana Jones. You can write that down. So humility and faith. Is it a step of faith? Of course, because you can't see it. Grace is invisible. But guys, I, I have been, and you guys have been too, and I continually am continually in the place where I feel like God is asking me to just take this step off a cliff. And I don't see how it's going to get fixed. I don't see how I'm going to be able to get through this day with, with my family or with something with church or some counsel, or just anything in my life with my kids. I don't see how it's going to work out. But God says, just listen to my word. Take a step to do it in humility, and I'll meet you with all the resources you need. But what do we do all the time? We just say, I'm going to put my best effort in. And it's like such a mismatch. We are no match for what we are facing. We need the Lord's grace. He is our only hope. He is our Obi-Wan Kenobi. But before we get to that, what are some things that can hinder my relationship with God? Some things that will cause humility and faith to not be in my life. Well, I came across this list from uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a great uh, Bible teacher. And he said, these are some things that sap the strength of a Christian. Maybe you're just walking all along, and then all of a sudden, one day, you're just failing at everything. Well, here's a list of things that he, he identified as things that can sap our strength or keep us from walking in humility and faith and receiving our grace. He says, committing to too many spiritual works or things. Going to church too much, he said. What? I thought being in church all the time was awesome. Well, he said it could, it could turn into a work. Instead of you being humble saying, God, I need you, you could be saying, well, I'm here all the time, so obviously I'm going to be okay. How about too much conversation, he said. By the way, there was this paleontologist who, who found some, some old skeletons. And he said, oh, this one's a guy and this one's a girl. And his little assistant was like, well, how do you know which one's a... And they're probably married, he said. Well, how do you know which one's the guy and the girl? He said, well, it's easy. The guy, he's got the big, strong bones. And the girl, the girl has the, the, the mandibles much more worn out. The jawbone right here. <laughs> Never mind, that was a joke. That was not funny. Um, he said, another thing that can sap our strength is arguments, debates, and wrangling. How about laziness? Too much time in the wrong company? Too much foolish talk or joking? Love of money and career? A desire for respectability and image? Unequal yoking? Ungodly entertainment? A wrongful attitude toward or doubting? the word of God. Basically, he says, anything that grows our pride or doesn't or causes us to doubt the word, 
causes us to be a spiritual peewee Herman. Weak, pathetic, and generally annoying. <laughs> Who can talk a big game, but there's no spiritual power engaged in your life. See, Paul knew what he was talking about. He was li a living powerhouse of spiritual strength. Yet Paul, if you've heard, seen the physical descriptions of him, was like this weird old hunchback guy with a weird eye. Like, that's Paul. He wasn't a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger manliness. But yet he was spiritually so strong. And how did he get that way? Well, exactly what we've already covered. Through humility and faith, God gave him the grace. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, what's this time in Paul's life? This was a time in Paul's life where he had a thorn in the flesh, some sort of ailment physically that he called a thorn in his flesh that he was just so uh, annoyed by and it hurt and it was brutal. and It was not something he wanted to experience every day. But he says here, you know, God, Jesus told me my grace is sufficient for you. My strength, strength is made perfect in weakness. So we're looking at strength, how to be strong in the Lord through grace, through humility and faith. And he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That means perfectly available, perfectly attainable, perfectly in given to you when you're weak. Whoa. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So much is in there. So much that the power, that, put, that engaging of the might would rest upon me, would just continually be on me. For that to happen, I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I'm going to boast in where I'm weak, where I'm a loser, where I am lame. That's how it's going to happen. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul has figured it out, and I think I haven't yet. Paul was all about suffering. He was willing to go there. He wanted to suffer. This week, I saw a very sad video of they said it was Christians being killed in Iraq. And I don't know if that really was what it was, but it was there and I saw it and it was so disheartening and devil and I, I was just so hurt by watching it and thinking about these Christians. And then I really feel like God just spoke to me and said, they have it right. They, they're going to get a reward that you won't believe. And the Christians in America, with our comfortable lives, are really going to struggle. We're really in for some maybe eye-opening stuff coming up. And maybe it's at the judgment day when we realize that a big church is not what God had for us. Or a comfortable life is not what God had for us. Or easy to raise children is not what God had for you. Or even... Marriage that gets along. Sometimes God has something else for you and he wants you to struggle and wants you to work through some things. And it's okay. Because in our 
infirmities, sicknesses, in our reproaches, things we're embarrassed about, in our persecutions, in our distresses, everything that stresses you out, when it's for Christ's sake and we're weak in those things, he gives us his strength. That's, he says, that's when I'm strong in those areas. In other words, take the negative of it. If my life is easy, God doesn't have to show up strong. He doesn't have to. And I'm convinced that's why I get stressed out sometimes. I'm convinced that's why people cut me off on the road. Or people don't listen to me. Or I get treated poorly. Or any of these reasons. is because God is putting me in a place where I can trust him and can rely and see his strength happen in my life. I'm convinced of it. So now, I cannot, I can try, or I can surrender to the Lord in those areas, and I cannot freak out about it. Every time I need something, Jesus is the resource that I need. Every time I need something, it's so that I can go and Jesus can meet that need. Every time I need something, the amazing grace of God, his might is just waiting to be accessed by my faith. Every time. This is how to live by faith, where every infirmity, every need, every reproach and distress is an opportunity and a reminder to be in Christ. And his resources will abound toward me like an ocean of blessing. In Christ, like diving in an ocean. Every failure, every hurt, every doubt, every broken place in my heart and your heart is a place that Jesus not only wants to fill and heal, but is supremely able to restore. And he is our only hope. He is our Obi-Wan Kenobi. The world tells you to look for things that you're good at. Minimize your weakness. Enlarge your strength. The problem is that the vast majority of us have no strengths. And the ones that do are usually just really good at faking it. Jesus lives in the light. He is completely honest. And the truth, when everything is revealed, is that we honestly need his help in every area of our life. Grace is all-encompassing. We all know Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's not just that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I must do all things through Christ, in Christ, by his strength, his resources called grace. It's all things. The resources and strength that, God, that Jesus gives work for everything. There's nothing that we're supposed to do on our own, in our own strength. He's not saying, oh, I'll just save you, but you really need to quit smoking on your own. Or you really need this or that. None of it is supposed to be in our own strength, in our own abilities. Every sin, every challenge, every opportunity, every betrayal, every hurt, every job. Jesus is the only door of success in every one of these areas. And he demands it. There can be no other way of success. It's him or nothing. It's him or nothing. Why? Colossians 1.10 tells us why. 
Colossians 1, 10, and 11, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all what? Might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Our lives must be lived in the Lord's strength, by grace, by the new covenant of his power given to us. I'll give you seven reasons that were just laid out for us in these verses. Number one, that our walk would be worthy. So many people struggle and say, I don't feel worthy of God. I've sinned so many times. You have no idea how I've blown it. You have no idea that for the past blah-dee-dee-blah years, I have done this wrong, and I have failed at this, and I see no end in sight. But grace, grace changes that. He makes you walk worthy of the Lord. Number two, it makes him happy. The new covenant, walking with the Lord, diving into his grace, trusting it, makes him happy. It says, fully pleasing him. And not just, yeah, they're all right. But no, fully pleasing him. Have you ever been fully pleased with anything? Probably not. Maybe Kurt, if his glass is half empty, or half full, I mean. Fully pleased with something, but... Generally, we're like, yeah, it's pretty awesome, but someone else has the 4K TV and it looks awesomer or whatever. There's always something better in this world. But God is fully, fully, fully pleased when you decide to just be humble and have faith. You mean not do everything right? No, he does. that's not what fully pleases him. Humility and faith is what fully pleases him because then he can shower grace which makes you walk worthy, which pleases him. Pleasing God has nothing to do with how you act. Now, if you're acting the wrong way, yes, he's not pleased. But the way to make him fully pleased is to live by grace, which will enable you to act the right way, but that's the byproduct, not the goal. The byproduct of a relationship based, built on humility and faith is a righteous life, is a life that is worthy. Number three, a life that's fruitful. He says, be fruitful. You'll be able to, uh, bearing uh, fruitful in every good work, he says. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't have to do good things. I'm just saying it becomes the fruit of a life lived in humility and faith. So every time you bear something that's fruitful unto the Lord, it's because you had humility and faith, not because you did something right. It's never because you did something right. Number four, you get to know him more. Why does it have to be him? Why does it have to be all or nothing? Why does he have to be our only hope? Because we get to know him more in that way. It's the only way we can know him. He's not into halfway. He says, you know me or you don't. You're all in because I'm kind of all in here, Jesus says. I'm all in. Number five, we become patient. It's him or nothing so that we can learn patience. Number six, so we can learn long-suffering. 
bearing with one another in love, that long-suffering. And number seven, check this one out, to make us happy. Your fullness of joy, your fullness of joy only will come when you surrender to the new covenant way of living, to saying, I I humble myself before you, God. I need your help, and I believe it, so I'm just going to start doing what's right. I'm going to start stepping forward in what's right in faith that you'll give me the resources. That's where your joy will come. I still remember my dad and my stepmom when they, were, when they were growing in the Lord and after they had come to know Jesus, they were still kind of struggling with some, um, I believe, some marriage things. And, and my, my stepmom was like, um, I'm just not happy still. I'm just not happy. And my dad said, it's not my fault that you're not happy. And they have since become the most in love and happy people that you've ever met in your life because they surrendered to God's way of doing things in humility and faith. And what happened? God brought them joy. Their joy was found. And instead of it being an exterior situation, they live in Sawatch, which is like nothing is there. I, it would be hard to be happy if you were me. He's listening to this, so he's going to be laughing right now. But... Um, you know, it doesn't have to be based on your outward circumstance. He tells me it's heaven because he's like, there's no stoplights. And okay, I guess that's cool. But it doesn't matter about your outward circumstances when you're living by the new covenant and God's strength, a byproduct of that strength is also joy. And I know some believers, and you do too, that are just crab apple people. They are not happy in any way. And you're like, is that what I'm going to end up like when I'm old? Just crabby pants? I don't want that. But you know, if I lived my whole life trying and trying and trying to do the right thing, attempting and efforts and all this, I'd be upset too. Because it doesn't lead to anything. Only grace is able to do these things. Two more verses. One, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That verse should be highlighted, starred. You can rip it out of your Bible and put it on your mirror in the morning. It is the most important verse ever to learn. Is there any lack in your life? Any? Is there any sin that you've committed? Is there any lack of joy? Is there any lack of patience or long-suffering? Do you feel like you don't know the Lord or his opinion on a situation or his heart about something? Is there any part of your life that's unfruitful, not just filled with the fruits of uh, the Spirit, but like, like love, peace, and long-suffering? Is there any part of your life that's not just perfect? then you have a need, a great need for grace, and God has a great ability to give it to you. This is great. It's all good news. This is the good news of the gospel. You can stop trying to make God happy and just make him happy. You can stop trying and just humble yourself and believe. 
come to God through Jesus Christ, run to him in humility and faith, ask him for grace. He has the resources and he's just throwing them at anyone that will ask. He's begging people to ask him. On the last great day of the feast in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up and there, they had this great festival and all the people were in Jerusalem and they were all just wanting to be satisfied by God. They were seeking God, seeking God, seeking God, and they were making all these sacrifices to God, and they were working hard, and the priests were killing animals, and then they had the last day of the feast, and what they would do is they would haul these buckets of water up the stairs, and they'd go up, and they're working hard, and they're working, and they would dump the water out as an offering to God, and the water would just flow down the hill. And all of this was for their relationship with God. But it had become so rigid, just like our lives, when our relationship with God is work. It was hard for them. And Jesus, he stood up on that last day as the water is flowing down the steps. And he said, and he cried out saying, Jesus, and this isn't just Jesus talking. It's him crying out, yelling out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. They had all just carried their big, heavy buckets, and I bet they were thirsty. And he said, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, faith, as the scripture said, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, of whom uh, those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus, he's just like begging people, ask me and see what I do. Paul told his precious pupil, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.1, you, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Don't be strong in keeping the rules. Be strong in grace. Grace is what strengthens you. The church is not about growing in rules, growing in the law, growing in our own performance, or growing in our efforts, trying harder. It's about growing in grace. God's strength freely given to all who humbly ask in faith. A group of people that renounce any dependency on the flesh and trust only in Jesus. The church is supposed to be a people who are running to Jesus at every turn, running to him, trusting him. When are we going to stop talking about grace at this church? Never. This is it. Anytime we get an opportunity to talk about this, we are going to. Our one-on-one -on -one discipleship, when we meet, it is focused on this. We study the new covenant and grace, and we will always do it because Paul said, grow in grace. That's how it works. And I trust it. I believe the word when it comes to this. So never or when his grace runs out, that's when we'll stop. Whichever comes first. He is our only hope and we're not going to stop running to him. Amen, brothers and sisters. All right. Let's all stand. We're going to pray and I'm going to send you guys off. We have our surrender service this Saturday. We can baptize you. Six o'clock on Saturday, if you want to help set up, 4.30, six o'clock. So bring someone, 
We will have a band here. We will do some worship. We'll present the gospel, and then we'll baptize everyone who wants to be baptized and more. We'll just keep baptizing. kidding. But if you want to be baptized, this is the day. We're so excited um, to see what the Lord will continue to do. Uh, some other things that we got planned for these surrender service, it's going to be so cool. But we're going we're gonna to have serving nights where we serve and, and maybe do some stuff with, for the homeless people. We got, uh, we're going to do some testimonies. So if you've got a good testimony that you want to be able to share, this is going to be the time for that. We're going to have some prayer nights. We're going to have some praying for people who are sick nights. We're going we're gonna to just have some nights where we humble ourselves before God in any way we can think. It's a practical way of doing this grace thing. Humility and faith. Whatever we can do for humility and faith, that's what we're going to do. All right? So get excited. Grab some cards. Grab some door hangers. We got new door hangers back there in the back. And, uh, and, and just be bold about telling people to come on out and see what God will do in their lives. Let's pray. Jesus, our eyes are on you. Our, our hearts are lifted up to you, Lord. We have no dependency on, on our own efforts. The enemy we fight is so much bigger and so much stronger than us, but Lord, is nothing compared to the power and might of your grace. So Lord, we exalt your grace. Lord, we praise you for the wonderful grace that you give. God, I, I pray for all of the precious, precious people who are in here right now that you are are bringing struggles into their life and you're bringing distresses and you've brought sickness. And Lord, it is all so that your power can be seen. And we believe it and we trust it. And in humility and faith, we call upon your name, Jesus, as being our Savior. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.